Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whoever you are, wherever you're watching or listening, this is a chat about football. And I'm Joel, I'm joined here with Robert, my fellow Ilford mate. How you doing, mate? You all right? I'm all good, mate. Thank you. And uh, today, today, we saw what happened over the, the weekend. We saw what happened when Huddersfield beat West Brom to end 16 years of misery for a certain Leeds United. So... With us today, we've got a special guest on this podcast. We've got a man who knows his stuff about football, but happens to have a strong affinity towards the Mighty Whites that are Leeds United. So without further ado, with us, we've got John McKenzie today. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Um, we've, we've already recorded a little section, and since that time, the sun has gone down, so it's a, a, little, <laughs> le- a little less bright than it was. But yeah, I'm still feeling... Uh, peppy about Leeds being in the Premier League again. <laughs> with good reason, good reason. It's been so long, but we'll get into that. And this episode today is going to be a chat about Leeds United. But before we get into the main bulk of the episode, again, um, we've got to do admin as always. Um, if you love what you listen or watch today, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts at, yeah, at a chat about football podcast. And we are on Twitter and Instagram at ACAF underscore podcast. We will be on YouTube in the next week or two. So hopefully this episode will be up before you know it. But I'm working on the technical side of things. You can't see my face on this actual uh, video stream here. But you know what? Technical difficulty. So it's better that you didn't see my face anyway. I'm not. I'm sweating <laughs> all over. So. so now we're going to do a chat about Leeds. So yeah, first and foremost, John, I thought I'd ask, how are you feeling, mate? Again, 16 years away. Now you're back in the Premier League. How does it feel? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've, I've talked on a lot of different outlets about about Leeds being back in the Premier League, and um, I'm I, I think the the feelings are are twofold. On the one hand, you know, there is always that excitement of being able to say my my club is back in the Premier League. We're going to have all these little things that you just don't you, you take for granted if you're a Premier League fan. Um, so things like Oh, my my team will now be on match of the day. It'd be a lot easier for me to watch highlights packages of of my team if I wanted to, or fans to do that. Um, if you're a fan of fantasy football, you can now go on fantasy football and pick, pick Leeds players, which I've not been able to do ever in my fantasy footballing experience. Um, and so, yeah, the, there's little things like that, and obviously the the chance to play the best clubs in in England is is a really tasty um, proposition. But you know, the the same time, you know, the Premier League is a very different place to it was to what it was when we left. Um, Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea in 2003 and Leeds were relegated in 2004 so before that financial um, surge really started happening Leeds were basically out of the of the league and so uh, the Premier League looks very different to the league that we left behind those 16 years ago and you know there's I think for every football fan there's always the the danger that their club could be taken over bought out by someone um, big or by some country or oil rich state or oligarch um, and I think when that can happen the possibility that the things that you love about your club can be eroded and taken away so at the same time you know there, there is a little bit of a sense of loss for me because when we were in the championship despite the fact that the goal was always to get back in the Premier League there's a certain level of safety to to being in that league because you sort of feel as though you know where everything's at you you don't have to worry about things like ticket prices you don't mm. have to worry about um, various things that the Premier League sides have to worry about and um, you, I, I am feeling a little bit of that sense of loss that you know we we by being in the Premier League we become a hugely attractive proposition for uh, business owners and so um, in, in many respects I hope that that doesn't happen but um, you know this is the this is the reality of modern football. I mean on that note as well uh, I don't remember when I read it it might have been about a year or two ago I mean didn't you have a bit of attraction from Red Bull wanting to buy you out as well at one point? 
I haven't heard uh, about Red Bull. I think there's a lot of rumours about a lot of places because obviously mm. Leeds were Leeds are, is the biggest um, city in the UK, which only has one professional football club in the football leagues, um, and so I think that makes it already a big uh, attraction. Um, the, the big names that that obviously are thrown around a lot is, is QSI, which is the Qatar Sports Investment, mm. uh, which is the sporting branch of the of the sovereign wealth fund for for Qatar. Um, they the, they're the um, the um, company that own PSG at the moment. So that's that was the worry that I had that we would just be as soon as we were promoted, we would be sort of selling shares off to them, and they would gradually become majority shareholders. But apparently, um, Andrea Redrizzani, who's the owner of Leeds, is uh, has had some sort of falling out with the Al Khalifi family, and so that probably won't be happening anytime soon. So um, maybe uh, maybe uh, a little bit of uh, a bit a little bit of um, positivity there for me as a, as a Leeds fan because I just don't want to lose my club to to a sort of sovereign wealth fund for a com- country thousands of miles away really funny enough you mentioned that as well because I remember in our derby episode Joel back me up on this um, I asked a question of would you want your team to gain the wealth and then obviously you can arguably compete with the likes of Chelsea the Man- to be fair the, the heavyweights in the Premier League or would you prefer your team to be actually grow organically um, so I mean for you I think they were, obviously the answer is clear with the organic side. Yeah, I'd want to be proud of my team on the pitch and off the pitch. And I don't think you can compromise one with the other. And so, yeah, the, the organic approach, I think, is, is always much better. Um, and also don't really want my club to be used as a sort of uh, mechanism for um, a, a foreign state or an oligarch to sort of wash their image and, and uh, use it as a way of, of trying to get influence in, in Western politics as well. So, you know, there's, there's all these kinds of um, the things playing behind the scenes here that, that I don't really want my club to become a poor in a bigger game um, played elsewhere and um, I want to ask as well just before again um, we got into this season as well um, I know that um, like you mentioned his name Andrea uh, Radiazani if I've got that pronunciation correct Um, he bought the club in 2018 I noticed that there seems to be like a buzz around the ground um, around Ellen Road purely because he bought back the ground he bought back Fort Arch as well how much of the impact has it had to sort of have a manager Especially, um, sorry, an owner, especially after the tumultuousness of the previous sort of 14 or so years that really seems to sort of be invested in the club and invested in the club's sort of long-term health and welfare. Yeah, again, you know, there has to be a sort of tension here between the, the good things and the, and the potential bad things that can be brought by, by any owner. And I think this is something that I urge a lot of fans, especially Leeds fans, to realise is that you don't have to uncritically um, embrace everything that an owner does. And there's obviously good things that Andrea Radrizzani has done. Um, you've mentioned buying back the stadium and, and the training ground. We've also um, just announced that we have been uh, promoted. Our academy has been promoted to a Category 1 uh, academy, which will be good for our youth development. Um, they're thinking of moving the training ground to a new site and uh, developing that in line with Marcelo Bielsa's um, spec- specifications. And again, that's good. Um, they brought in Marcelo Bielsa, which is, in my opinion, the best thing that the club has done in my lifetime. And... Um, and so you have to you have to um, give credit where credit's due. However, you know, with any ownership, there are issues there. And at the end of the day, whatever Andrea Radrizzani says about loving Leeds, um, it, he he owns Leeds as an asset. And at some point, he will probably want to move that asset on and get the money back on it. Um, so yeah, there, there always has to be that that level of criticism. And we're going to go on to talk about. Um, Kiko Casilla, the incident there, um, and the way that the club has dealt with that has been very disappointing for me as well. Yeah, um, I feel like, again, that's a good uh, point to move on to, to be honest. I know that 
Um, Derby, um, Leeds at Derby sort of went to a 3-1 win. But I guess in the in the grander scheme of things, um, especially the Black Lives Matter movement going on, um, I know that you have strong feelings towards seeing Kiki Casilla return um, to the to the lineup um, on was it Sunday was it? And uh, you took the time to write a letter um, along with other Leeds fans. Would you be able to sort of care to tell um, everyone listening sort of what you what you wrote on that letter and how you felt as well at the time? Yeah, so the background to this is that Kiko Casilla was um, found guilty of uh, racial abuse towards Jonathan Lecco of uh, Charlton in the in the home fixture that's played um, at the end of last year. Um, that he was found guilty by a panel um, run by the FA, so a civil civil panel which um, used the they use um probability rather than beyond reasonable doubt and so a lot of Leeds fans have said well you know that's not um that's not really good enough evidence to accuse someone of racism um so there's there's all kinds of debates about what has actually gone on but um <clears throat> to me who's read I've read the findings the, of the of that case um it's I think it's very clear one that he did racially abuse Jonathan Lecco um which was backed up by Macaulay Bond uh, I think the club came across very badly they in that um in those findings they were um not exactly forthcoming in helping the the situation to be resolved they've not apologized for anything uh they stuck by kiko casilla and uh, essentially said that um that jonathan lecco and, and macaulay bon are, are basically fabricating this evidence <clears throat> with the context as you've mentioned of black lives matter then where Leeds have been very happy to jump on that particular bandwagon um <clears throat> and the players have been taking the knee a lot of players have been making uh, very outspoken remarks about Black Lives Matter, which is great, particularly someone like Patrick Bamford, who's um, engaged with a lot of the fan base who have been critical of the of Leeds' engagement with Black yeah. Lives Matter. With that as the background, I just find it unconscionable that, that the club can, can come out and say that they are sort of supporting Black Lives Matter when we still have this thing hanging over us um, with, with respect to the way that, they're, that they've treated uh, Jonathan Lecco and, and Macaulay Vaughan, but also the way that the fans have done that and haven't really been upbraided by the club at all either. Um, Kiko Casillas' ban ended. He had an eight-game ban given by the FA. Um, that ended uh, the, a couple of a week ago, I, I suppose, um, and he was played on Sunday. And I was just, I think a lot of us fans are disappointed. One, that Kiko Casillas was just told not to return to training um, after after his ban ended, um, simply because, you know, we've had this long break from football. So there's been plenty of time for them to just say, just head back to Spain and we'll reassess what's going to happen with you at the end of the, the year. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm unhappy that he played because I think that they're, they're, they're sort of insinuating that, that this should be business as usual. Whereas I think in most company contexts, um, if a player was found guilty of racially abusing someone, they would be fired for gross misconduct. Uh, and the only reason that I think he's still around is because footballers have an asset value, which uh, means that football clubs are uh, reticent to ha um, move them on. Um, the big question will come on Wednesday when we play Charlton again um, at Elland Road, and I, I don't think that they'll have him on the squad uh, for, for for the reason for the obvious reasons. And for me, that raises a question: that if they're not willing to play him against Charlton, then they shouldn't be playing him against anyone. Um, I, I should caveat all of this by saying that I do think that anyone who's found guilty of racial abuse is 
uh, redeemable and should be rehabilitated within society. And a lot of Leeds fans are saying this, but um, I also don't think that anyone has a, um, everyone has the right to play for my club. And I think the club has every right to say, you have forgone the right to play for Leeds United by racially abuse, abusing a player in a Leeds United kit. And so please feel free to go and re- rehabilitate yourself at another football club, uh, but you won't be welcome there. So yeah, there's lots of things that I've, lots of big ideas in there, I think, but that my general um, approach is I just, I'm not happy with the way that the club has, on the one hand said oh black lives matter but on the other hand have sort of um bracketed off this sort of sense of well not all black lives matter because we don't we're not going to allow um the lives of jonathan lecco and macaulay bond to matter in this sense and i think structural racism um which i think you you'll both obviously be able to talk to talk to with a lot more force than i will but my understanding is that structural racism is something that um, is is pervasive and it's, it operates un, underneath the scenes, behind the scenes, and is subtle. And it, it's precisely this by a, a club like Leeds United not listening to Jonathan Lecco and Macaulay Bond, uh, which really makes racism, structural racism, and this of this sort of um, uh, of this sort continue in in football. And I think that's it's it's really bad. I think Leeds are going against the idea that Black Lives Matter. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. indeed, I, I agree with what you say there. I feel like the message needs to come out very strongly that there is a zero tolerance or and very very low tolerance for uh, racism and Kiko Kasia I think what um, frustrates me what is a point of consternation for myself is that he seems quite unrepentant for what he's done I feel like there hasn't been enough maybe correct me if I'm wrong but enough remorse shown from him to sort of um, understand that you know what I've, I've done something that really could sort of harm a young player sort of psyche in Jonathan Lecco and I think even from the FA, there needs to be a very hard look at how they deal with uh, racist incidents purely if you base it on the fine um, that Kiko Kinsia received. He received a £60,000 fine, whereas um, Marcelo Bielsa, for uh, this time last year, for Spygate scandal, was fined £200,000. So that's more than three times more than what Kiko Kinsia was fined for his uh, incident and his remark. And he's been allowed to sort of come into the game um, quite unfettered, really. He's had, he served the ban, and he's come in, and um, I don't think there's going to be much more sort of made of it from there. So I'm hoping that this sort of uh, Black Lives Movement is a catalyst for change, and I just sort of abhor seeing scenes like um, seeing sort of situations like Casilla, um have that racist abuse, uh, give that be able to sort of be in that situation where the racist abuse is being given. And um, it just hasn't seemed to be of a high enough sort of priority in the FA's agenda until now. So, I mean, yeah. I was on that note as well. I mean, you, you've got, uh, Joe, I 100% agree with you. You've got the FA of, look, you like to think now that the Black Lives Matter movement really will stop this. But I agree with you. How can a fine only be 60,000? Obviously, an eight-match eight uh, eight um, ban. And I think it's really poor on Leeds part that they literally paid, played him the, the game after he got the ban sorry the, the day after sorry the bans ended and you just think to yourself well was this not nothing serious I'd, I 100% agree with what you're saying I mean you would you would have liked to think your club would just be like well you know what look go back to Spain we'll let this season go we'll see what we're doing I agree with you I don't think he should be wearing a Leeds shirt again and I do think that he should be still playing football obviously I don't think it's like nope get rid of him completely I agree with you. You don't want to see a player like that in your shirt. And I mean, it's yeah, you'd like you'd really like to think that the Black Lives Matter movement really will this sort of incident 
really will get dealt with a lot better from every party involved. Um, it makes it yeah. very obvious that it's just a PR coup for Leeds United to be able to be like, yeah, we're going to go along with Black Lives Matter because for me, gestures are much more important than um, oh, you know what you do on the what you do on the pitch and you, is 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 so much more important than sort of what you're talking about off it. I think, yeah, exactly. That you've got to if you say that you want to eradicate racism and you've got to go ahead and eradicate it and the way that you do that is by listening to black voices when they talk about oppressions yeah um you don't do it by just simply saying well we use this hashtag and it was all good um you've got to actually take it where it hurts and you've got to admit yeah okay we moved this player on we lost a lot of money over this player but like you said zero should be zero tolerance uh, on on racist issues and until we get that um racism will continue essentially what they're saying is you get a free hit of racism as long as you're contrite at the yeah. end of it but that's exactly it i mean realistically what has actually kiko Garcia lost i mean he's look fine he might have lost a bit of money look eight match get eight match ban when he he's just basically just going to be relaxing for that whole time he realistically hasn't had any repercussions of what he's done yeah. and yeah it's i guess we can talk about this for ages realistically i mean this we we could be racking our brains of how why what they should do but let's hope the black lives matter movement really does um help out the idea of eradicating racism from football altogether you're very well said Thomas. again there's a reason why we put this um item high on the agenda as well because despite all the the good that Leeds have uh, done this season and we will get onto that in this next bit but again it's just something that we feel that we have to sort of give credence to voice our a mm. real sort of support for this movement and just sort of say that there are sort of questions that need to be asked from every sort of side of football including Leeds but I wanted to move on to uh, Marcelo Bielsa, right? And I know that he's a he's a name that brings smiles of um, many many a Leeds fan. So I wanted to ask you, John, tactically, uh, but um, Bielsa's a very sort of interesting um, coach. What has he done this season to really um, guide and steer Leeds towards the top of the championship? Well, he's taken a squad of players who finished 13th the season before he arrived and made them con- title contenders. And they've contended for two seasons now. And look, I, I don't think that the Leeds squad is the best the, in the top five squads in the championship. So he's got out of these players, he's just made them the sum so much more than the, rather well, the whole, so much more than the sum of its parts. Um, and it's incredible to see he's, um, his his manage his management style is is incredible. He If you look at the players in terms of their, their like, body mass uh, index that a lot of them are, are running really really low on in, in terms of their uh, body fat percentages and they look really healthy and um, they do anything for him and I think it's, it's a real testament to him that he can get the players to believe in his system enough to make mm. the sorts of cuts that they have to make to their lives and you know they're getting weighed every day they have uh, the fat roll test where they where you have calibers on your on your um, body fat to see how much there is there and these guys go along with it I don't think there's um, there's a lot of uh, groups of players who would go through that sort of system and come come out well from it but in terms of on the field he's he plays a really interesting brand of possession football um, which is all based around this notion of spatial manipulation and positional play so getting the players to move around in such a way that um, oppositions really struggle to cope with with marking them and yeah essentially you're just sort of moving around finding interchanges finding rotations where you can exploit space and um, progress the ball down the field um, 
in terms of defensively, they're also quite interesting because they do a, a man-orientated marking system, which means they're essentially sort of doing a man mark across the field, really. Um, they have a high press, which is a lot of people talk about. Uh, but, you know, the, the, actually in, in defensive situations, a lot of the time they are one-on-one -on -one with opposition players. And again, that's really hard to do. A lot of uh, tactical theoreticians think that it's not the particularly the best way of, of uh, defending um, because it's so hard to um, to basically correlate and um sorry coordinate and um yeah he manages to do that as well so it's it's a very different kind of football and um you'll you'll i think enjoy watching it in the premier league i, I know that you're on you're an arsenal fan joel so you'll have seen leeds against arsenal we caused uh, you a few problems there so yeah. yeah hopefully we'll see more of that in the uh, in in the premier league yeah um um certainly i feel like leeds have sort of a very interesting proposition it's funny that you mentioned that because when I did watch them at the Emirates, I felt like they were a team that were very well drilled. Yeah. And you could tell by the, the patterns of play that, um, for example, if I, if I were to sort of point uh, at one point in the season, aside from the Arsenal game, I'm looking at that game against Stoke where um, Hernandez's goal, the 30 pass um, goal. And I look at the, um, like you said, spatial manipulation. I look at how wide they made that pitch of possession, how everyone knew where to move from, uh, off the ball, how the midfield was sort of coming from deep. Like, it was like clockwork. And I feel mm. like, you saw the fruits of that, where even before Hernandez even got the goal, um, there was a dummy literally just behind him. So I feel like that that sort of um, clockwork in terms of movement, in terms of like precision to sort of orchestrate those sort of um, uh, patterns of play, I reckon Bielsa really has worked on that detail as well. So you see how they've benefited from that in, in how they've played. And it's just amazing to see that um, they've played the best football and they have got to the top of the championship from that. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, I mean, yeah, you, you've obviously we we touched upon it in the last episode, but obviously you had a lot of controversial. Well, you've had it this season as well. I mean, obviously you had Spygate last season. I mean, how how much of it? How do you think the mentality was going into this season? And how do you think obviously Bielsa changed? the leads to, to kind of well I say changed how do you think he kept on the belief yes um, I guess it's a tough, tough one to take last season I, I think the, the 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 reason that Leeds have got over this and, and gone on to be bigger and stronger this season is just because the system requires longer time to sort of get into it so um, mm. you know people think of I think people think of seasons as sort of units and you think well this season was good hopefully we'll do well next season but actually if you look at the, the, the team over the course of two seasons Leeds are much better this season than they were last season um, in, in a lot of respects and that is because the system is so complex and requires so much um, ability to, to understand what it is going on um, with it that a lot of people um, didn't realise just how much of a benefit it was going to be having Bielsa over over the summer and being able to do a full pre-season and, and being yeah. able to then take it into the into the, the next season because the first as I mentioned before the, the first seven games of this season Leeds were just incredibly dominant um, in, in a way that Manchester City are incredibly dominant in terms of the underlying figures in the Premier League. It, and, that, and that comes from the fact that both teams play very similar football. Now, yeah. you can beat Leeds and you can beat Man City by playing in a spe specific way. Um, but in many respects, you know, teams have to sit back and defend. They have to be reactive against teams like Leeds because if they try and play them on their own terms, they will just lose. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure watching Leeds this season um, just sort of put into practice the, the, the bedrock of last season and, and make it much more um, exciting and even, even better this season. And I yeah. guess you, got the, yeah. you had the privilege. Oh, I say it's a privilege. I mean, it obviously isn't, well, wasn't ideal going out in the circumstances you did. But however, you, you made a very good point there with 
maybe it took the two seasons to be the team you well it did definitely take the two seasons to be the team you are now and let's just say for example you did get into the Premier League this season you might not well you, you wouldn't be able to experiment maybe you wouldn't have been able to kind of or it would have been a lot tougher to really learn that that method because obviously with obviously how the Premier League can be it can be obviously deadly at times and I mean if you've gone if you've gone a few games losing streak you really could go down a spiral so obviously staying in the championship really did give Bieza enough time to create that system to now go into the Premier League yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the Premier League next season because I don't think teams are going to sit back against us as much. So it will be fascinating to see whether or not we can then compete with teams on that basis. Yeah. And um, I want to ask, uh, just before we get onto the players as well, because I know there's a, um, quite a few players I really want to get a breakdown on how they've been performing. But I want to sort of uh, mention something. I think you might be able to shed a light on this, uh, John. Um, I've heard so many stories about uh, Bielsa's uh, preparation for games as well. The, the, the dossiers, I think, um, during pre-season, he got like an eight-page uh, dossier or, or something like that on Forest Green Rovers' his third choice goalkeeper, and the first sheet of Forest Green Rovers got a manager. So bemused as to sort of why Bielsa required that sort of information. But I know that Bielsa sort of been like the lifeblood of the Leeds revival and regeneration, right? Uh, probably, and I might be sort of a bit presumptuous here. He might be the sort of more significant, uh, significant managerial appointment at Ellen Road since. Um, Howard Wilkinson and maybe even Don Revy as well. So, how do you reckon Bielsa as a figure, not not um, not even on the pitch but off the pitch, how has he sort of galvanised the team together, especially off um, at the back on the back of last season as well? Yeah, I think the the what is so important about Bielsa is that what most coaches would consider to be success is different from what he te- um, considers to be success, and he he understands football teams to be community based, um, and he's really concerned that to be successful is to make the fans uh, proud of their club and um, as a result of that he does what he can to make the team uh, as as good off the pitch as he does on it so um, yeah I think that's a lot of it comes down to that I think he would consider his successes in his life to be um, that he's got Leeds's um, training facilities up to a better level that he's improved a lot of the young players um, that he's got them playing good football as well obviously but he, I think he is very proud of the fact that, the, that he's made the fans happy um, he, he has achieved for them what no one else could achieve um, and I think that's really what makes him um, such an interesting person that he views um, football as a holistic um, endeavour it's not just a it's not just a, a vehicle or um, a vehicle for, for making people money it's actually a vehicle for making fans um, or giving fans something to enjoy in their lives as well. And uh, as a result of that, he will make the team go out and pick litter for a, a requisite amount of time to make them aware of the, the sort of extent that the people who go and watch the games in the ground earn the money to pay for the tickets to, to watch them play. And so to give them a sense of what they are actually achieving is not simply success for their owners, but also um, success for their fans, something that their fans to enjoy and give the give them some sort of like um, trajectory in life. And I mean, you don't really see it too often now, especially with, you see it a bit with players. Well, you see it a lot more with players, but especially with managers. I remember that video circulating around social media of a few people going to his house and how he's re- his reaction with things and how he responded. You, you can genuinely tell that he's he is a part of this Leeds community. He really is a part of this sort of feeling of you're all one, um, which is always good to see. It's always good to see that sort of thing because not many managers in world football are realistically like that. I don't know many managers which are in touch with their fans like that. So, yeah, you, you can tell he's definitely 
invested. He he definitely sees Leeds as a one and not like you said, a more of a holistic sort of view mm. as opposed to right football and then just mm. he does his own thing off the pitch. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And um and now we're gonna get onto the team now. And I know there's a lot of interesting figures to um, look at. And there's one um, that Lee fans might feel a bit bittersweet purely because he's alone from Brighton. But Ben White has been a revelation at the back. And um, I know that his... Um, yeah, I just want to sort of have your insight as sort of what makes him so special at the back for Leeds and, yeah, what he brings to the team. Yeah, he's an incredible player. He's a player who hadn't played higher than League One before this season and um, was playing for Newport and um, Victor Orta and uh, Bielsa were very interested in him from that game onwards and they've kept an eye on him and they've brought him in and he's worked really well. He um, came in as a replacement for Pontus Janssen, um, who went to Brentford, um, who was a very important figure in last season's team. And actually, I think with Ben White in the team, we've been arguably even better. Uh, ben White is a very good ball-carrying centre-back, which uh, adds something that we don't really have in, in Liam Cooper and Pontus Janssen last season. So, yeah, it's been incredible watching him play. And I have no doubt that within a few seasons, he'll be playing for an elite football club. Oh, yeah, high, high praise indeed um i know that ben white yeah has been gaining a lot of plaudits and if leeds fans could bring him in that would be wonderful as well i wanted to get a take um funny enough i mentioned leeds i wanted to get a take on uh, the local boy in the, in, the, in the fold uh calvin phillips as well he was touted for england um earlier on this year uh, believe it or not uh, playing in the championship i know he's been exceptional in midfield i know that he's been in the league for quite a while but what has Bielsa brought to his game that's helped to improve it uh, markedly um, from his time there? Yeah, it's um, incredible that when Marcelo Bielsa turned up, people thought of Calvin Phillips as an attacking midfielder, but he's been rehabilitated as a, as a holding midfielder and he's, he's up there with the best defensive uh, midfielders in the league in terms of his defensive stats, but also his passing stats as well. He's not the best, I don't think, at either quite, but he's um, pretty much maybe second or third best in both categories, which makes the combination of those two so important. Um, and he's been fundamental for us in the, in the team system that we use um, because we do rely heavily on that holding midfielder to screen the defence because we obviously spend a lot of time attacking the opponent's box. So he, he gives that extra level of, uh, of defensive cover in, in, uh, in front of our centre-backs. Um, but yeah, it's, he's, it's, he's a remarkable player and... Um, Again, I have no doubt that he'll be playing for England soon enough. I think he's um, he's definitely up there with with the best options England have in defensive midfield. Yeah, certainly. I've heard have heard big things about him, but I want to get one uh, more question about uh, Calvin just before we get to the next player. But with Calvin Phillips, right? What is it? Um, I just want to sort of get your take in a in a, like, in a Bielsa uh, team, right? And when you're playing a defensive midfield, is it different from what we know defensive midfield to be in other sort of walks of uh, other tactical systems that is is he a, a deep line midfielder that sort of takes the ball from deep and recycles it and moves it on to more gifted players like Pablo Hernandez? Or is he um, a player like Oli Norwood where he distributes it from deep? Like how does he function? Yeah, he's mainly breaking up play. So because Leeds push their fullback so high, um, and in many respects, we don't give him a huge amount of cover in defence. He sort of often finds himself either covering in the left-back area because the left-back has to support the left-winger. We sort of attack a lot down that, that left-hand side. Um, so a lot of the time, it's simply about him disrupting uh, counter-attacks. Um, obviously, he's, he's, got, he's brilliant in terms of interceptions and, um, and duels, uh, but he is very important because he can pick the ball up then and he can um, uh, move it on to, to one of the other players to then bring it down the field. And... Um, 
because Leeds are doing build-up from the back all the time, he's fundamental in those early stages of build-up. Um, so his movement has to be um, top-notch all the time so that um, he's finding those gaps that they can pass it through and then move it on down the wings. So, yeah, you have to be able to do, as I said, both the defensive side and the passing side to be really good in a BL system. Oh, that is, I mean, yeah. you, t- well, you touched upon this player also beforehand. I want to bring him back up because I want to know what you think of his influence will be in the Premier League. But you said Adam Forshaw. He was roughly around that same sort of area. Um, what impact do you think he'll have then going forward? Um, so, Adam... Show it as much. Yeah, so Adam Forshaw is more of an eight. So we play we play a six and two eights, really. One of the eights will be slightly more attacking, and then one of them will be more of a ball carrier. Um, Adam Forshaw is the ball carrier. He's very press resistant, uh, and that's what we've missed a lot, actually, this season. We've Sometimes in games, we've lost a little bit of control, um, and Bielsa's, get, Bielsa's style is all about control. I think a lot of people think that Bielsa plays sort of really like heavy metal football, to use the, the clock cliche. Um, but actually, I think a lot of what happens in terms of the build-up is quite patient. And he wants um, his teams to control the ball. He would rather, when when we're getting the ball forward, he would rather keep the ball than and 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 not risk losing it than to risk losing it by going forward quickly. Yeah. So it's very much careful build up, and um, we've really missed, like I say, a, a press resistant midfielder. So he'll go in there, I think. Um, and if he's 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 had his um, had a hip problem since very early in the season. Um, he's had a hip operation in, I can't remember, earlier in this year. Um, so he's, he's going to resume training at the beginning of August. So it's going to be interesting to see um, what happens with him, if he's going to be playing. If not, we may need to, to improve, the, improve that area. Yeah. And um, there's one player um, that I, I'm going to mention now, um, certain 35-year-old Spaniard that scored um, an amazing last-minute um, or near enough last-minute winner at Swansea that brought Twitter, the Twitter timeline sort of to raptures, right? But Pablo Hernandez, right? Um, he's been um, sort of mentioned and lauded as the creative hub of Bielsa's side. That, uh, Bielsa sort of always uh, mentioned him as the focal point and the most intelligent player in the team, right? And at 35 years old, his um, influence doesn't appear to be waning as well. So could you really shed a light as sort of why Pablo Hernandez is to be so special by Bielsa and by Leeds fans as well? Yeah, so Pablo Hernandez is the really creative player that we have on the team. And the system is great, but without um, that that creativity, you know, he, we lose a lot in, in that time side, especially when um, you take into account the fact that Leeds often play against teams who will just sit back and make it very, very hard for us to exploit space. Um, and a lot of the time this season, we've been Pablo Hernandez FC because he's just got us out of um, deep spots, um, tricky situations where you know we 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 wouldn't have won had he not been able to conjure up a remote, conjure up a moment of mad, mad, magic, and that's what happened against Swansea. Um, so yeah, he's an incredible player, um, just one of the most intelligent footballers you'll ever see, um, and just really really sort of um, deceptive player in that he doesn't look like he could produce much, but he's just so important for us in terms of finding space, making creative passes, and then even picking up a few goals in the last few uh, weeks, which have been important for us. Yeah, and... Yeah. Um, well, definitely, and I mean, yeah. go there, was, there was one player who I personally wanted to talk about um, was Patrick Bamford. Now, the reason why is because literally, I think I saw 45 minutes before the podcast, um, Patrick Bamford actually replied to a tweet about saying, oh, now we started. Um, because someone, well, I think it was someone in Talksport said, is Patrick Bamford good enough for the Premier League? And <laughs> he's, he's had a very interesting career. I mean, you know what? I'm not even going to try to explain it. This is, this is your, obviously, your <laughs> striker. So, I mean, what, what do you think of Patrick Bamford? Yeah, so the, with Patrick Bamford, it's um, 
it's it's a, it's an interesting one because uh, this season he's his finishing has been um, pretty poor. Um, he's he's underperformed his expected goals by about ten, which is wow. historically bad. There's not many strikers here are that bad in the season. But at the same time, he's really really important in our system. He's a very good hold up player. He's very good at build up as well, um, and has been very very important for us elsewhere on the pitch. So it's one of those ones where uh, it's very hard to say. Um, now, according to stats, you know you're very very unlikely to continually underperform your expected yeah. goals so um for someone like me who who puts a bit of uh, stock in stats I, i'm expecting him to eventually turn around which to be fair to him he has in since the the lockdown um since the restart he's been pretty good he's been overperforming his his xg so i kind of think that he the, those problems probably won't be there but there are a lot of leeds fans who just don't think he's good enough for the premier league um i'm not one of them i think he's a, a very intelligent player um and there are problems with his his finishing um his approach to finishing you know he's got a weak right foot um he has a front foot striker so he likes to run onto the ball and hit it rather than uh, have to do something with the ball arriving at him in any other way so there are problems to his game that I think could probably be worked on but I I would be more than happy playing him in the Premier League with a with a decent backup as well yeah and funny you actually mentioned expected goals that's actually my latest read about the whole expected goal philosophy and that's why I wanted to talk about Bamford because the law of averages realistically state he the positions he's getting in and the opportunity he's got like you said it's it's woeful this season but if you can continue that realistically he he should be obviously hitting very good levels there's there's no doubt about that don't get me wrong I know football is a completely different game statistics wise it's it doesn't work like that always but the positions he's getting in him the touches in the box think all these sort of components combined, he is good enough. It, obviously, he's, he's had a bad patch, but he, there's no doubt in the fact that he's good enough. The stats definitely prove that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think if you look at if you look at season on season, there's there's no significant correlation in stats terms between a player having a good season and a bad season according to their xG. So it's very very it's very very hard to prove that 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 finishing as a skill is something that mm. that players have from a statistical point of view. Now, obviously, there's there, there is an element to which you know players do have some there is something like a finishing skill we know that you know Raheem Sterling for a, for a long time struggled with his finishing and you know there's certain things that he does better than others in terms of his finishing but and I think as managers you just have to realize that you have to get your players into positions that suit them best for for shooting exactly, yeah. um but yeah, the long and short of it is that is that you you could, you're equally as likely, I think, to have a poor season than you are a good season in front of goal. Um, and you, the, the skill I think for managers is to is to know how to rotate their strikers so that you're not ruining a, a, a player's psychology uh, by just dropping him as soon as he hits a bad patch. And that's what Marcelo Bielsa did really well. Is is that even when he was having a, a bad patch in front of goal, he would still play him. Um, and and it, and so you don't have that sense that oh, if I miss this, then maybe I won't be playing next week. Of so course. yeah, I think. Yeah, it all comes down to that, really. Um, keeping the players' psychology up and getting them into the situations where they can um, actually do the job that they are expected to do. Of course, and it's very easy to think of football as, oh, what if this happened or what if that happened? But ultimately, with him being your striker, you've made it to the Premier League, something you've never done before. So clearly there's something right with him. Clearly he's doing something right in that team. And of course, always raises the question, oh, what if you get this person in, that person in? But... For everything he'd done, I think he definitely deserves to obviously stay in the team, stay as your striker and see how the Premier League goes, really. Yeah, I think that's the best uh, approach. To- yeah. And um, John, I wanted to ask, um, just I've got um, a few more questions uh, just before we wrap this up as well. 
Um, the first one I wanted to ask, right? I know that you're you're buzzing about how Leeds are doing, and we we alluded to Bamford as well uh, about how sort of his finishing isn't always the best. Um, how, like we mentioned about Leeds, sort of how they're going to play in the Premiership, but how do you reckon they're going to fare in terms of like? Um, through the season do you reckon they're going to stay up I think it's a tricky one I think a lot of Leeds fans think they're going to be fine um, and you know I largely agree with that because I think we play a, a solid system that we can get we'll get some results from but we've got a very thin squad so a lot of it depends on what will happen in the transfer market and you know we're only a few uh, players away from having very very um, good players to very very bad players in terms mm -hmm. of uh, injury wise so uh, there are caveats and you know there's also the fact that we play a very specific style of football, which is very attacking and very um, expansive. And the question is going to be whether or not we have to change that in the Premier League and if we can or if we even will. Um, we've just seen Norwich go down having played similarly expansive football. So um, I do think there's a chance that you know Leeds will probably be um, in some sort of relegation battle at some point. Uh, I, I don't know. I think if I add my two pence here before uh, after the next question, I think Leeds... Um, for me, are structurally more um, resolute than Nor Norwich were. Um, mm -hmm. Norwich, um, notoriously, I think, in the Championship, I remember there get being games where there were 4-3 or 3-2. Three, three, like, let's say the 4-3 against Derby, um, the, the famous game mm -hmm. when the lights went off. I remember Norwich being very open and I remember there being a lot of talk about how they couldn't carry that on in the Premier League. And I remember seeing that as well. And I thought there was good reason to that because in the Championship, you'll get a, a plethora of chances. And in the Premier League, if you play that expansive football, you've got to be a team that knows how to convert chances. And with notably better attackers in the Premier League compared to the Championship, a player that might miss sort of two chances in the Championship might take a chance immediately in the Premier League, such as uh, the difference in quality. But I feel like Leeds, um, correct me if I'm wrong, they have the best defensive record in the Championship, or one of the best. So they have already the, the building blocks to sort of maybe sort of kick on and uh, maybe make a good fist in the Premier League, a bit more than Norwich, so a bit purely because I think like Bios is a bit more astute tactically than the Daniel Farker. Yeah, I mean, I hope you're right. <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of Leeds's um, a lot of Leeds's defensive solidity comes from the fact they're so good at controlling the ball. Um, and so, if we don't have as much of the ball in the Premier League, and if we aren't able to control games as much, then it does raise questions about how good our defence is going to be. So that would be the only caveat I would add there. Yeah. Are there any areas you thought you'd, you'd improve in? Any areas you thought you'd significantly improve at all? I think the squad needs to be a little bit more tight. I think we've we've tried to, we've got to this position by cutting a lot of corners, and I think the the, the club wanted to get Bielsa because I think they realised that if you could spend a little bit of money on Bielsa and then improve the quality of the players across the squad, then you not had to spend money to improve the player the quality of players across the squad individually. So that's a bit been a bit cost cutting, and then Bielsa likes small squads, which also saves them. A bit of money as well so um, my big question is whether Victor Orta the director of football can actually just go ahead with squad development um, and just tell Bielsa look I'm going to bring these players in because the squad needs it because you know you might not be here in a year's time but the squad is going to be here forever in, in that sense so mm. um, yeah my big worry is maybe squad development squad churn um, but other than that I think I'm not too worried about anything else it should be a good fun season either way. No, yeah. of course, and I think yeah. you made a good point there because obviously having you said Bielsa likes obviously a small squad and having a good squad squad depth of actually quality players in the Premier League means well you can tell how much it means with teams like City, for example, who I know obviously you're not going to compete exactly on that level, but 
it obviously means a lot having that sort of squad depth. And I mean, especially with the new rule of five subs allowed now as well. I think that makes it a bit interesting for teams who are below the bottom because, of course, Liverpool, are, these teams won't struggle with that. They can they can bring on a number of players. But how do you think that will impact teams like yourself in the Premier League next season? Yeah, I mean, for long parts of this season, we've not really had anyone on the bench in terms of like quality-wise in order to bring mm. on and change games. So it's definitely going to impact us. Um, they're talking about... The club are talking about bringing in four or five signings this summer, uh, but I think a lot of them are going to come from the championship, they've said. So, um, yeah, I don't know. The big question is going to be whether or not we can keep Ben White on uh, because he would be a quality signing. Um, But I don't think we're going to be making sort of marquee signings that you expect um, clubs who go up to do. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a process project and hopefully we stay in the league and then we're able to yeah, develop the squad a little bit more next season, etc. and slowly build them up that way. I mean, it, good, it must be good as well to see a team like Sheffield United, for example, be able to clearly do it in the Premier League. It's not all about throwing money away, throwing 35, 40 millions on players just because you think quality will come with that. There's, there's no reason why Obviously, you, it's a lot tougher. Let's not obviously argue that. But you can still grow organically. You can still manage to maintain that in the Premier League with obviously the right coaching, the right tactics. And yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, and Victor Orta's savvy guy. He uses a lot of data analysis as well. So they will be analysing the players who work well in our system and mm. they will be finding value in, in the market. So in that respect, I don't worry too much about the, the, um, the recruitment side of things because I think we will bring in good players and there will be players who can um, make a difference for us and um, that's what Sheffield United have done like you said and so that you've got to have a level of confidence that Leeds can do a similar sort of thing to what Sheffield yeah. United have done although I do I do think the Sheffield United squad is a bit stronger than Leeds I mean they've had a season in the Premier League to sort of tighten it up but yeah I, I think that they're, they're the sort of model that we should be following. 